everybody. Welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Connor Ryan, who is a skier, a Native American, and the director of the film Spirit of the Peaks. If I were to make a list of ski films that I thought every single skier in the world ought to see, Spirit of the Peaks would be on it, and it appears that some others agree with that sentiment. Spirit of the Peaks won the award for Best Cinematography at the Wasatch Mountain Film Festival, and then just this past weekend... Spirit of the Peaks also won the award for Best Cinematography at the Five Point Film Festival. Connor and I actually had our conversation this past Friday morning, on Earth Day, just before Connor was heading over to the Five Point Film Festival, and while I absolutely love this conversation, I am a little sorry that I didn't get a chance to congratulate Connor in our conversation for the Five Point Award. So, Connor, well done once again. And in this conversation, we certainly talk a good bit about Connor's background and this incredibly interesting trajectory into the ski world. We also talk a good bit about this film, Spirit of the Peaks, which we will include a link in the show notes to this episode. And I hope you really will go back and see the film again if you haven't already. Or, certainly, go see this for the first time. But then another thing that happens in this conversation is Connor lays out a vision for the future of skiing and the ski community, and I think this is one of the most compelling and exciting visions for the future of skiing that I've really ever heard. So yeah, we are talking about some big ideas here and some really important topics. And if I ever could ask the community of Blister Podcast listeners to share this conversation with any other skiers you know, well, I would make that request now. And so let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Connor Ryan. Here we go. Well, Connor, how are you today and where are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm in Glenwood Springs on my way to the to the Five Point Film Festival over in Carbondale. Yeah, and tell me what's going on with that. You're going to Five Point. Is this your first time to the Five Point Festival? Yeah, I've never been before. Really excited about it. Yeah, we made a film. Uh, my first time co-directing and you know, really taking the lead on, on the creative side of making a film and not just appearing as an athlete in a voice and really stoked with how it's been received. And so, yeah, we're making the rounds at film festivals now. That's awesome. Yeah. And kind of one of the reasons why I, I wanted to talk to you now, it seemed sort of timely maybe. And I know you've, you're going to be showing the film uh, a bunch. So I thought, let's have a conversation about it now. And people will be able to check out the film online, but also going to be, I imagine, some really cool opportunities for groups to see the film together and have conversations about it and the like. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the most exciting things. Like this film's been out online since since January and was at a couple of festivals and had a screening tour before it came out online. Uh, but I think like continually creating that space for people to have a conversation and for people to build community and talk about the connections that they have um, it is one of the most important things for me with this film uh, because it's it, it, it's really about that. It's really about the things that we're not talking about, but maybe we're feeling or we've seen or we're aware of and we're we're kind of pushing away. Um, and, and so any, any group setting that I can share that in and these things can come up and I can have the opportunity to speak and have questions asked and, you know, participate with everybody in the community is like the most exciting thing for me about it. We're going to get to the film in a bit here, but one of the things I was really curious about and wanted to ask you about was just how this winter season has been for you and how sort of maybe similar it was to previous seasons or how different it was. Yeah. I mean, this season was full on. Like, um, you know, last year, like we had the experience of making the film and there's like a really cool energy to that, but also you're still like able to like operate a little incognito. Um, and this year for me has definitely been like just explosive growth in a, in a lot of ways of opportunities that I'm getting and, you know, community recognition and involvement and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been full on, uh, doing a couple of other film appearances, working on some stuff with Solomon, um, guest appearing in some other folks stuff, directing another new project and at the same time the the film gave me the opportunity to to start a scholarship program um and we we took the film on tour as i've mentioned and i took all those tour proceeds and used them to to help the ute mountain ute tribe get a ski program going um worked extensively with winter park my home mountain to to build out their involvement in the indigenous community. So it's been like way more opportunities personally, but also th this time for facilitating opportunities for others, which can look like a lot of work. And I I've had a lot of support from the natives outdoors team. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's kind of been everything all at once and, and learning how to manage that. And yeah, it it's a funny place where like you transition from like the things you like, never dreamed were possible um being like really exciting to the things you never dreamed were possible becoming like the work that's like keeping you very busy and sometimes a little stressed day to day but uh yeah dancing with that that load management has been a, a really fun and rewarding process and hoping that it's just setting me up for even bigger things in the future let's talk about the film spirit of the peaks you must by now have your kind of uh, synopsis of the film down. And I imagine things like this when you talk about a project, you know, again and again and again, that synopsis maybe changes a bit, right? Like how you actually think about the project and what this film is. And so I'll ask you to maybe give us your latest take on what is this film? Yeah, Spirit of the Peaks is my journey as a Lakota skier who skis on Ute lands. And so it's really my way of learning to, 
to be a guest and be a relative to a place that I don't come from, but to do it with the lens of understanding that I have as an indigenous person, as someone who's native to somewhere very near to this and understands how indigenous perception uh, allows you to build a different level of connection with a place and, and really using that understanding to, to make that tangible to other skiers. That was good. Well said. I might be so bold though, to say that that's only actually sort of one element of the film. And there are a number of elements to the film, right? And so I found myself thinking a lot about two things. You talk about cultural obligation in the mm -hmm. film, something you don't actually specifically name, but it seems to me it's really there and I want to get into this with you. Yeah. Is personal freedom. And you tell this story about coming up as a kid and, you know, then finding your way into this weird ski world, this weird activity we, some of us like for some reason, like a whole lot for some reason. Yeah. And that feeling of maybe I don't quite belong here. How do I square this interest and this passion for skiing around, sliding around snow with this incredibly significant, rich, cultural heritage. And so let's maybe back up a little bit and just talk about those days when you're younger than you are now yeah. and trying to figure this out. Like, how do I square these two things? That was a tricky thing for me. You know, like I grew up, uh, my mom's Lakota, uh, my dad's white, but for the most part, uh, my mom is who raised me. Uh, and, and for a lot of it as a single mother. So I had the opportunity to ski from like five to 10 with my dad and was a natural, loved it. It clicked for me right away. And when his, the, the company that he worked for went bankrupt when I was like 10 years old or so, and I didn't get to ski again, uh, maybe once or twice between like 10 and 21. And it, it really became something that like, in a lot of ways disappeared from my mind. Um, so I had an experience driving past Copper Mountain with a friend of mine who's a black guy from Atlanta and he'd never seen something like that. And he was like, bro, like what is this mountain with all these lines down it? Like what? And I was like, oh, that's, that's where you ski. That's skiing. Uh, and, and he kind of just turned to me without any thought at the time. Uh, and, and you know, this is like eight or nine years ago. And was like, oh man, like they'd never want, let some people like us up there, you know, like him being black, me being native, us being from, from the city and not from the mountains like that. And there was part of me that took it to heart in this weird way that was like, I have to figure out like how to get back there. Um, and, and so I worked really hard, put myself in a position to be able to ski again, had a job where I worked at night. And, and so my days were free. And I found a way to ski as much as I can. And that was like this tricky thing of like, you're getting pulled into this feeling of skiing, which like you love so much. But at the same time, like it was a really isolating space uh, as an indigenous person. Like there's nobody else who really looks like you there. And I would have this kind of continual experience of like everybody I skied with 
you know, like didn't understand culturally what I was doing. And everybody I went to ceremony and did cultural things with didn't understand the skiing thing. Um, and so it took a while for me to really realize like how those things could coexist and to kind of overcome that, that dichotomy. Um, and, and that's something that's really important to me because I feel like in, in most indigenous worldviews and languages, like we don't really have, uh, like a concept of dualism. And so it was really important for me to figure out how to, how to overcome that. And, and it was really the journey of like, realizing like there is no removal from the connection to nature uh, that I feel as a person, especially as an indigenous person that happens just because skiing in some ways has been an extractive or colonial industry uh, on the land. Um, but, but it definitely took like a personal journey of like really understanding that that the mountains and the water and the trees and all those things like were my community out there as a skier. So to go back to that conversation in the car from your friend from Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. In that moment, you could have just said like, yeah, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And kept it moving. So I'm real curious what about that remark? You actually heard that and were like, yeah, no. Like, was it this moment of, I'm not going to be excluded from this activity? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you could have just agreed with them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, I, I think one of the biggest things about it is, like, once you've felt skiing, th there's something about that, like, that uh, for me, I can never step away from. Um, and, and it took that moment of knowing someone else like was okay with not feeling that, <laughs> that, that like got me agitated in a way where I was like, no, like this is amazing. And you're going to think that this feeling is amazing probably no matter who you are. And, and the more that you're gate kept from it, the, the more it is important. I think that you, that you feel it. Um, and yeah, I think there's another level of it too, as an indigenous person um, and, and identifying and having empathy and understanding for a black person of like what it feels like to be like, okay, like I belong in this space and everything about how the world is set up has kind of dictated to me that like I shouldn't be in this space, but that's, native land that they're skiing on, right? There's a run there at the mountain called Ute Overlook. There's another one called Indian Ridge. Like people want to romanticize us as being a part of the history of these places. Um, and, and to me, as somebody who's had to survive a, a history of erasure and, and genocide and being removed from places, um, the most rebellious act I can think of is to like go be in this space that I'm not supposed to be in. Um, and, and especially at that time in my life, like that really appealed to me. Just this idea of like, I'm not supposed to be here. Oh, I need to like take up as much space as possible. So I would go up there in my junky secondhand gear and my skis that were, I'm, I'm six, five. My first couple pairs of skis were one seventy ones. Cause that was just like, that's what I could afford. I liked the graphic. Like, let's go. 
And I just go out there and ski with a chip on my shoulder and look for every guy with Arc'teryx outerwear on and expensive skis and all this stuff and just be like, I'm going to just see if I can just beat this person down the hill. And that was like the biggest gratification for me as like this kid in a hoodie caked with snow, <laughs> like to just be like, yeah, well, at least I'm here. At least I'm doing this to, to the best of my abilities. Um, and that like rebellious act, I think like fed something larger in me that's, that's become, you know, spirit of the peaks and the icon pass scholarship program that we're able to start and things like that. Dude, it's, it's, it's really amazing. And I, I thank you for like filling in a bit more of those details from that first conversation. And I, I love that recognition of the rebellious act and that's how stuff like this starts. Yeah. You know, we kind of need one person to be like, this isn't the way it's going to go down. And we're, you know, t we're going to try to create a world where nobody drives by a mountain right. and says, I don't belong there. That's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Let me ask. So from those first days on the mountain on your 171 centimeter long skis, yeah. <laughs> How long did it kind of feel like you were on your own here? How much was this or for how long was this kind of just you, you know, this kind of solitary act or this solitary activity? Or when did you start having conversations with fellow indigenous people or people in the ski industry? You know, like how, how did that evolution happen? Yeah, it, it was kind of a slow thing. And I think like... There's a way in which still like there, there's still days I go out on the mountain, especially on my own or just with another indigenous person or two where like it still feels like a rebellious act. It still feels like we're in a space that we don't belong or aren't wanted. And, and I think that's it's kind of an inevitable part of the indigenous experience in the United States. Um, and, and that kind of never goes away to a certain degree. But I, I was able to like really start building community um, when I got involved with Natives Outdoors. And so I skied for four or five seasons uh, before I got involved with them. Um, I started skiing again at, at, at 21. And I think I started up with Natives Outdoors at like 26 or 25. And I'm 28 now. Um, and so... Yeah, that was really the key like turning point. And it was kind of this thing that I never thought could exist because um, I had a background. I, I'd worked on like some political campaigns working against fracking here in Colorado and really passionate about like water and the environment and never really thought anybody else would like put that together with skiing. That was just one of those things I just carried around in my head. Um, until somebody sent me a post from Natives Outdoors and, and I'd never seen them before. And the post they said, calling all native senders and defenders. And nothing had ever appealed to me more uh, than, than reading that. And I was like, man, that's what I do. And like to see that someone else could put these passions together in the way that, that I did was like, 
it was kind of creating this opening for me of like this dream job that was like too good for me to ever ask for, you know, like you're never going to look for that on any (laughs) job posting. Like, yeah, I need to be able to ski, uh, but in order to bring community together and defend the environment and it's specific to like my unique (laughs) cultural and racial background, like it was beyond what I would have ever asked for. Um, and so as soon as I got there, uh, I was able to meet up with Len Nessifer, who's one of my mentors and the the founder of Natives Outdoors. And the first time that we backcountry skied together was the first time either of us had ever backcountry skied with another native person. And that was just super transformative. And within a year of that experience, we had seven of us on top of a mountain together that had all skinned up and that momentum has just kind of kept building and building. And I think we've really started to like carve out a space where, where folks understand like, okay, like we have to make space for indigenous people in the outdoor industry. And that space specifically needs to be at the forefront. Um, and, and that's been like a really powerful transformation and seeing a lot of cool changes come from that, that like, I wouldn't have imagined were possible, uh, not that long ago. Okay. So let's say that we had a, you know, a new title in, let's just keep yeah. it to North America right now. Okay. You are now president of the ski world. What would you ideally like to see the ski community and we'll keep it just North America here to try to simplify this a little bit (laughs) this strange question of mine what's kind of your ideal or what's your vision for what this ski community could look like yeah I think like the the thing that I would really love to see is like I want to see more tribally owned ski areas Um, we have two that exist currently Sunrise in Arizona and Ski Apache in New Mexico. But as people hear that, they're probably like, what Arizona and New Mexico, those aren't like skiing places. Um, And so I think we need to figure out how to give land back to tribes in these places where we more conventionally think of skiing happening and that are going to be a little more sustainable as, as climate change presses on um, in order to create opportunities for tribes and tribal entities to generate revenue sustainably from the land, from recreation. Um, I think that's a huge thing. Like the outdoor industry loves to throw around this, like we're nearly a trillion dollar industry, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of leaves out this fact that like, it's an extractive industry until indigenous people are brought in and we make this more sustainable. We make this more circular. It's still an industry that's like, yeah, that's a trillion dollars of profit and that's way better than it coming from gas or logging or mining or whatever. Um, But it's still revenue generated from stolen land and indigenous people. We need to be able to create an equitable platform for us to interact economically with the world. And I think that that recreation is one of the best ways to do that. So that's one of the first things I would say. And I think the things that that help us get there and, and also our solutions in and of themselves are like, we need more indigenous guides, right? I have a, I have a close friend, Cal Smith, who's for a lot of years was the only indigenous guide on Tahoma, uh, the mountain 
also colonially named Rainier um, in, in Washington. And he's from the Yakima Res and grew up right beneath the mountain and was the only native guide there. And it's like, man, that should be a normal thing. Like you should be able to go to the Wind River Range and hire a skier from Wind River to show you around that that amazing wilderness area that's full of skiing opportunities. And if you go to the San Juans, you should be able to hire a Ute guide and all these different things should be possible. Um, and, I, and I think that like there's just kind of these lack of opportunities, lack of engagement with communities that that prevents that from happening. So if we can bring in more opportunities for indigenous folks to be the leaders um, and, and the leading voices in how to approach places, how to sustainably interact with them as we, you know, build a sustainable economy through recreation. Uh, I think that'll create like a lot of equity that doesn't exist now and is really needed. Okay. These strike me as two extremely good and extremely big ideas. So let me ask, where are we currently? What are some of the things that Natives Outdoors or you personally, like, are, are we down the road on this? Or are these just really good ideas that we need to start now, you know, getting to work on? Yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of like, you know, in, in seed and bud form, most of those. And like, uh, I think we need a, an awareness out there to help pollinate that as it blooms and have people be open to it because it's like, it's an idea just most people would never think of that I think is like right at the front of the mind and the tip of the tongue for a lot of indigenous people, um, which is like, we love to go out and interact with these, these places and have these experiences, you know, whether it's skiing or climbing or mountain biking or, you know, trail running is something we've done for thousands of years. Um, but anytime that we do, there, there's a bit of a disconnect. And I think like this is a big step towards like healing and addressing that, but also like lighting up our imaginations collectively and, and realizing that like these solutions are, are solutions for, for everyone. Um, so it's like we, we kind of have a shortage of access right now in a lot of ways, whether it's that your ski resort parking lot in line just got way too nuts or that <laughs> getting way too nuts just made your trailhead parking lot get way too crazy. Like, we're, we're at a shortage of access in, in a lot of ways. And I think if we want to figure out how to more sustainably uh, interact with places over a long period of time, the best way to do that is to allow that to be led by people who interact as sustainably with places for a long period of time, right? And so, like, you know, we have this idea in the United States of, like, a wilderness. And in the government definition of wilderness – is this phrase untrammeled by man and essentially implying that like human beings have never been there. But in reality, there's countless wilderness areas named for the tribe that inhabited them. And so there's people who have a way of knowing that is, and, and a system of values, most importantly, that has enabled them to live in a place for thousands of years only making impacts which improved the environment. And so I think like, and not to say that we always did that perfectly or we never had negative impact on the environment as indigenous people, but when we did, because of how our values were oriented, we corrected and did better. And I think if we can bring that mentality to expanding access to the outdoors 
everybody benefits. And if the person who has the final say in decision-making views the mountain, views the valley, views the trees as another sovereign living entity that they respect, which, which is central to many indigenous cultures, then we have this opportunity to, to really move forward in a way that, that, that has a balance uh, of access for human beings and recreation and equity for our more than human relatives who are these landscapes. Um, and, and I think it helps us push closer and closer towards uh, um, like a really full circle, circular kind of model uh, of outdoor recreation or skiing or whatever it might be. And, and you know, having a lighter footprint and a lighter impact, um, but also a much more connective experience. And, and I think that's something that, that I see in the ski community we're, we're really longing for like, what if you could go on a five day expedition, traverse skiing, sweet lines through an area. And the person who's there is someone who speaks the language that, that was born in that place. Like how much more are you going to learn? Someone who sings the songs that were made to call to those mountains, like how much deeper of an experience can we all have? Um, as opposed to being like, Oh, the history of this place is, mining and here's the first descents and blah 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 and it's like okay that's that's a history maybe that appeals to some but like let's let's hear a history that's a thousand years long and is deeply intertwined with with the ecology i want to talk more about this notion of connectedness with specifically skiing and again this is stuff that specifically gets addressed in your film spirit of the peaks and Sometimes when I have conversations about a film, what I don't want to do is like, oh, well, we just talked about every interesting thing. And now it's almost like, oh, I guess right. whoever's listening to this doesn't need to go see it. I promise you that's not what's happening right now. The film, I think, in a lot of ways is going to act as a bit of a Rorschach test to people. Yeah, There like are that. so many different elements, right? I think you talk about in the film just as a kid wanting to belong and mm -hmm. not feeling like you belong, right? You, you, you say you almost felt bipolar. Yeah. I think that resonates with like maybe literally every single human being who's <laughs> coming up as a kid and trying to figure out like, what am I going to be about? You know, there are notions of self-discovery that I think are universally true for every single one of us. There are questions of identity and purpose. So lest you think that this is a conversation, one of those conversations where like, now you don't need to either go read the book or see the movie. I promise you that isn't true, you know? And <laughs> I told you, I watched the film again this morning. And once again, things were just firing off for me that, you know, in new ways. And I'm writing stuff down while I'm watching your film. But I want to then ask again about this notion of connectedness, because I think that I found myself kind of um, not called out by the film. It was sort of, let's say, politely called out. Maybe called in. <laughs> called in. There you go. Yeah. Called in. I really like that. I've never heard anyone say that before. So thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. We have talked a lot about, and I think this is a positive thing on one hand, as a sort of community of, say, backcountry skiers, this notion of, you know, there has been a, a bigger emphasis on safety and how to travel safely in the mountains. 
And so paying a whole lot more attention to what's going on in the snowpack and is that changing as we're traversing and am I spotting hang fire and, you know, just things like this. You bring a whole different level of what it would mean to be aware while we're traveling. I've talked a lot recently about dropping into a line. Mm -hmm. That's the moment when the world kind of disappears for me. And there is a kind of meditative state or a state of kind of um, full presence that I think has an incredible, incredibly important therapeutic value from a mental point of view. And I've, those are the things that like we've, so we've been talking a lot about how to safely travel in the mountains or the, the mental health aspect yeah. of dropping into a line and the world disappears. Mm -hmm. To use your phrase, I think this film does call us back in. Yeah. In a way that I was like, yeah, that's just something that I have not been thinking about. And it, so I kind of wanted to say first, thank you for that. Yeah. But maybe I'll I'll shut up and let you kind of have the mic back and just talk about that as something that has either always seemed obvious to you or just maybe through your own experience, that's a movement that you saw as sort of lacking in the ski community or how we talk about this stuff. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's something for me that was perceptibly missing in a lot of my life um, until I had got reconnected with my, with my culture. Um, and one of the first things, you know, in La Culta culture, that's one of our central ideas is this idea of mitako yase. Um, and it's essentially a, a recognition of your connectedness to all things. Um, it, you know, roughly translates to all my relations and, I think that's something as human beings raised in this like capitalist colonial world that, that views nature kind of as an other or as like uh, an inanimate object um, that we, we kind of lose sight of, um, which is the role of a, a landscape, not just in our community, but, but as our community. And that for me was something that I think I really wanted to emphasize because I think skiers feel it, but most skiers are speaking English and they don't have matakoyasin in their language, right? And so I really wanted to give people that opportunity to, to see like there are words for what you're feeling. Um, and it's something that, that I've always felt, which is like, man, like, when you're out there and you drop into a line and you have that like flow state feeling, right? There's this whole like series of kind of operations that that happens before that, right? It's this like gathering the right crew. It's studying the forecast. It's knowing the beta of the route you need to take. And all of that in, in a way kind of creates this like, formula of like relationship if that makes sense right and, and i think we put a lot of focus on that singular moment of dropping in and i get that too because like damn that's the greatest moment in, in my life too and i think uh hopefully that comes across in the film in a lot of ways uh 
kind of like you've mentioned, I think we do a lot of like show don't tell with the film, which is why you can have a bunch of nuanced conversations about it and then go watch it and still have all these more ideas and revelations. Um, but that, that focus on the singular moment of dropping in, I think overlooks the fact that like it's, it, it's a kiss after a dance, after holding hands, after an introduction, right? And so I, I think we have to put a little bit more focus on that, that whole relationship with the place and, and realizing that like we, we live in a society that has overlooked the fact that like we should value a mountain as, as an uncle, as a grandfather, as someone who's looked over us in all this period of time and realize that that has an impact on your life. That's, that's intangible the same way that, that uh, a relationship with a community member does. Right. And that your relationship to, to the trees or the water is very similar, uh, you know, and it's something I harp on all the time, but it's like you go ski on a snowpack that's made of water and that water melts and runs down the mountain and you drink it and you're 60, 70% water, whatever. Like you are physically in the least like <laughs> metaphysical and in the most like scientific and physical sense, like you are the snowpack that you were skiing on. Um, and, and like, that is a really intimate form of relationship, like to be 60% something else. And then to exchange that something else with every other living thing on the planet and in your immediate environment is like, that's powerful. That's a heavy thing to, to think about. And, you know, I just really wanted with this, with this film to just give people another way to acknowledge how powerful of a relationship they are already in with nature and that they can't choose to stop being it. Like you can't stop breathing the air. You can't stop drinking the water. So like you have no choice but to be in a really intimate, beautiful relationship with these places and they're giving you life in this way. And so what do we do about that? And this film doesn't necessarily have a direct answer. I think we all have an own, our own how to address that. But what I really wanted to do was just bring up the question so people can feel the obligation reciprocity that I think we need with, with these spaces that have given us so much in this way. And, and yeah, it's really cool to continually hear all the new ways that that, that comes across to people through seeing the seeing the film my favorite definition of like the discipline of philosophy like when you know when people are like well what what is that you know i like to say or a, a work of philosophy a book right it's a catalyst for self-examination and i think that's exactly what i would say about this film and i think you just articulated that really well and I think you're almost selling yourself a little bit short when you say the film doesn't sort of answer all the questions. Okay, it doesn't answer all the questions, but it presents them, and I think it will have an immediate uh, impact. I don't know how you can watch the film and not have your perspective on at least one or two or three things shifted almost immediately. And then in this conversation, I think you've already provided some pretty big ideas about 
what we may be do going forward beyond just that experience of being out literally the day we're out in the mountains. So I don't know, man. I think you maybe should be giving yourself more credit about not just raising, not just raising questions here, but also providing a vision for where these things might go. Yeah, I mean, I try to try to do my best to to guide those things along, but also like that's that's the beauty of it is like so much of the answer does lie in community, and that's one of the amazing things about sharing the film with folks is like you have so much of that come up where people go like, oh, well, I just realized I can do this or I know so-and-so and they can, if they talk to these people and it's like, that's what we really need is to like wake up that, that like part of ourselves that's been laying around in there like, oh man, I really should do this for the place I ski. I really should do this for the community that I'm a part of. And, and for us to remember like, that that reciprocity that that action uh, of closing the loop of making the circle whole again um it is what allows us to continue to feel right in these places that we love and, and to me like it feels so much better to drop in for that that perfect moment and, and i'm so much more confident as i step into that line when i know like i've done something for this mountain I've done something for the people who will drink the water that runs off this line that I'm skiing. And I'm not going to say that affects the Abbey forecast in any way, but like <laughs> it definitely gives me a different sense of belonging in a place um, that, you know, the conditions can sometimes make us question that. Should I be here right now? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? This is quite a, quite a set of, you know, risks to navigate for this one personal joy. Uh, but if we learn how to use that personal joy and the relationship to the environment that makes those risks as a catalyst for self-examination, for the betterment of our community, then I, then I think like the, the why of skiing starts to make a lot more sense. I know you've got a big day today. So I should let you get going, but I've really appreciated this conversation and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk about this film and honestly to hear a bit about the vision for what might be next. I think that stuff is really exciting and I love this vision that you've presented for the whole ski community. Mostly I'm going to be rooting for you now, but also would love to talk about some ways that you know, we might just be able to maybe work a bit together on some of this, but mostly I'm going to stay tuned. And so, man, thanks for making the time today. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. I appreciate the opportunity and yeah, so stoked we get to have these conversations and share them with the, with the community. All right, sir. Till the next time. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I can't thank Connor enough for this conversation. And of course, once again, congratulations on the award at Five Point Film Festival. I do also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again later this week. Tomorrow on our Off the Couch Running Podcast, Thursday on our Bikes and Big Ideas Podcast, 
And then this Friday, Gear 30. So we'll catch you on those other podcast platforms and talk to you real soon.